Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1002, with Daniel Del Prado. Service and, and food over systems, you know. And also, these are 33, 33, 33, I call it. That every decision, you have to take in consideration three things. Employee morale, finance, uh, sustainability of the business, the business part, and the customer part. Every decision you take, as long as you think about those three factors and, and they all have the same weight, you're going to take the right decision. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by OneHuddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With OneHuddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. OneHuddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle, like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. Founded by Josh Sharkey, a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 years, Mies organizes, shares, preps, and scales your recipes like never before. Plus, you can get laser accurate food cost and nutrition analysis faster than you could even imagine. If you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies is built for you. Get started by visiting getmees.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable and as a listener of restaurant unstoppable podcast you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today with invoice processing you can link all of your purchases to ingredients in your recipes and the most current cost will be automatically reflected in every recipe revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with me's This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, 
profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef, owner of DDP Restaurant Group, Chef Daniel Del Prado. Mm-hmm. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I, I do. Yeah. Yes, I think, man. I'm feeling uh, great. Your story is unstoppable, man. Uh-huh. Like you, you have such an amazing story. Uh, you, just doing a little bit of research, you, you mm-hmm. came from a different country. You're, you're, you, you were underprivileged. Mm-hmm. You, you rose to the top, my friend. You, mm-hmm. you made it happen. You're here today. Over eight restaurants in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. There is a success story here for sure and i cannot wait to dive into it but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us mm-hmm. i always say um a scared man never wins a scared man never, never wins, wins. A scared man or woman never wins so every time you know i get nervous or, or concerned i just think about that and just say go with it so, where'd you learn this uh my mentor Who's mm-hmm. your mentor? Isaac Becker. He was the first man you opened a restaurant with, wasn't he? Yeah. In Minneapolis, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. We're going to talk about him. I'm sure. Uh-huh. Uh, did he dive into this at all? Did he, did he teach you why this is the mentality you need to have? No, we are friends. Uh, he's my mentor, but we became good friends. Um, and um, we both, uh, you know, we, we are both very, we NASCAR people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. <laughs> Can't be. Yeah, yeah, no, you can in this industry for sure. Yeah. No. So yeah. where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Take us back to the beginning. Well, in the industry, the way I, uh, you know, my mom is Italian. My dad is uh, from a Spanish uh, heritage, and they both love to cook. There's a culture, you know, in America, everything is like fast, fast, fast. But in most other countries, which they are being lost in other countries too, uh Food was uh, this. Food is what brings people together. I know it's just like phrased and it's repeated, and I hate it. But uh, you know, people eat dinner and it stays in the table, drinking and talking about politics or, or thing. You know, for a long time. So, food is a big thing for me since I'm a kid. Yeah, I remember uh, my mom used to make these uh, raviolis made with uh, cow brain raviolis. Yeah. And uh, I used to eat them until I, my uh, belly, the top of my belly would would, <laughs> would hurt. You know what I mean? Like, uh, food was always important for me. Um, but I fell into the industry. I went to Colorado. And um, the only job that you have in the summer uh, or during the day was either in hotel industry or restaurant industry. So I fell into the restaurant part. So going back, yeah, in, before coming to the states, before you tur- you're you're you yeah. were in your early twenties when you came to the states, right? Twenty three, yeah. Um, so I was born very poor. I was born in this neighborhood in Buenos Aires, and it was pretty dangerous. So when I was thirteen years old, um, I was working during the day and going to school at night. Uh, I know here it's not normal to go to school at night, but there so people can finish high school okay. they do that so this is when you're like a teenager a teenager Got yeah it. and um i would go back home taking the bus and and walking two blocks to my house and it was always dangerous it was like people doing like heroin okay. you know um 
I don't know, like sometimes being bullied or sometimes being like, you know, they want to steal something. I didn't have anything by 13. Did yeah. you ever get into trouble or did you ever run into trouble? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was scared, you know, like I would always put a facade and I was not scared, but I was scared. Oh, yeah. So I realized that I had to move from that neighborhood. So when I moved, when I was 13, I moved away from my house. Uh, alone uh, by yourself by myself yeah 13 years old yeah do you yeah. live in your own like do you were paying rent at 13 yeah yeah i was i work i work but then so did you yeah. like were you living with roommates or family no just alone wow yeah i, I work in the same uh the reason why i got the apartment was it was in the same uh building than the place where i work i work in a, an advertising agency okay as the guy you know the cake who goes to the bank and deposit and make coffee and okay. clean and yeah like the assistant exactly <laughs> yeah. and uh and the girls who work with me they they took a a liking of me and my my life being poor and yeah you know like not having like Oh no, they feel sorry for me, so they rent. They help me rent an apartment, so it will be safer for me. I know it doesn't sound, you know, thirteen years old living alone. It sounds bad, but like if you know the neighborhood I was and the challenges and that had, you know. Yeah. Actually, these ladies I work with, they were like, "You have to," you know. So they convinced me, and they helped me rent an apartment, and then I would live in the same apartment, the building, and. I work. How do you think this early period of your life of just, you know, these challenges that you're sharing with us, how did this shape who you are today? How are you better today? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, in, in everything, in love, in relationships, and, and so when I was seven, eight years old, I learned that my mom was really sad when I was asked Santa for a bicycle. And I would always get like a pair of underwear and socks. Yeah. And um, so when I was seven, eight, I realized that that was the case. So Santa wasn't getting your messages. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I started asking Santa for socks and underwear so uh, my mom didn't feel bad. So that, that for me, that story and knowing what it is to be poor, mm. really, really poor. Um, Mark me forever. Like I'm, I always had two full time jobs when I was a, an hourly employee. Like I'm, I'm, I think it's the biggest motivator for me is never be poor right. and never go through that. You know, I don't have kids, but I, I would not want my kids or anything. Uh, to go through I, what I had to go when I was a kid. It know? does make you stronger, too. And I think it's also yeah. a testament to you, the, your family and the values that you were given that you didn't go down the wrong path because you could have easily gone oh, yeah. down the wrong path. Yeah. What do you think made you not go down that path? Uh, I love reading since I'm a kid. Like uh, my, my mom and my brother used to get in fights yeah. and they started yelling. And it was a small, it was a 50, so it was, I think, 400 square feet. And we were a family of four until my dad left when I was eight. But they would get in fights, so I was embarrassed because everybody in the neighbor in the building could hear him screaming. So I would grab a book, uh, encyclopedia. Then you know, by then yeah. every house had encyclopedias, yeah. and I would just read that from the beginning to the end and kind of like, you know, zone it out, zone it out. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that. I was always, I think, even being poor, I was always educated. And I always, um, 
and I understood, you know, I, I think the difference between going the wrong path is education, that's it, yeah. you know. I know everybody uh, says, well, they were born in, I was born in a pretty dangerous place and, and I couldn't go that route. Yeah. But uh, I choose to educate myself. And I didn't know I was doing that by then, you right. know. You're but I think trying to escape the reality. Yeah, and that's, that's why when people talk about like, you know, like, prevention of crime or whatever i think it's just education you know right. what i mean like uh dude that's that's i think that's you know closing i i, I briefed you at the beginning of today's conversation mm-hmm. education right closing mm-hmm. the knowledge gap that's what we're here to do yeah we're here to take your knowledge and to pay it forward to the next generation not just your knowledge but your values right mm-hmm. because not everybody got the same privilege of, yeah. of having somebody to raise them and to give them these values and to share this knowledge with them. Yeah. So and I think that's why we live in such a beautiful time right now, because no mm-hmm. matter where you are, like today, if you were born, you know, like say 10 years ago and you were back home in uh, Buenos Aires, yeah, yeah, in Argentina, um, you could, you could have put headphones on and listened to a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, and been inspired. Uh, yeah. And that's happening today. Yeah. We live in a really special time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about that all the time. It's just like the information is out there, yeah. you know, which it can be, both ways right it can, it can be well i don't know there's certain like all these uh different like uh, uh i don't know like hawks and and hawks and, and and i don't know like fake stuff you know what yeah. i mean like like it can go either way you yeah. know like you gotta be careful especially exactly, right now exactly right now right it's like now, very polarized man. and very oh but just beyond that like there's literally fake content like the yeah. AI is taken off dude exactly like you can't look like, it, we're really close to yeah. not being able, if it's digital mm-hmm. we're really close to not being able to tell the difference between what's real and what's fake exactly and yeah. it's and there's fake content being created like probably like hundreds of hours by the like by the minute mm-hmm. of content yeah, you know, right and they're like all these people, and they used to not have access to big audiences. Uh, then they, they are charismatic and they have crazy ideas, but they, they, I'm you a, know, I might be a little guilty. <laughs> no, no, but now they have, they have access to like I don't know, dangerous stuff, you know, like racist, yeah, yeah. Uh, ideas or. Things like that, then they have bigger access. It's out there. It's yeah. definitely out there. I think the eighty twenty rule plays. You know the eighty twenty rule. Have you heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think uh, it shows up everywhere. The Pareto's Pareto, principle. Pareto, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it shows up everywhere, and I think yeah. you're right. But I think that eighty percent of the content is good, exactly in the sense of well intended. Yeah, and then there's that smaller twenty, like that. that yeah, those twisted people yeah that, you know yeah. try to make a fast buck but yeah. anyway i think we can move on uh yeah. so 13 years old you're doing uh advertisement you're working with these ladies they're putting mm-hmm. you up in a housing or they're helping you f- pay rent yeah um you're in your early 20s 10 years goes by between you between this point in your life mm-hmm. and when you come to the states mm-hmm. is there anything worth hovering over any no i was just um uh, i got into music uh i started playing a band with um some friends of mine uh i got into like it was a cultural thing it was doing the you know 90s the crunch and all the stuff so i got very into that and that uh helped me like i got into surfing because of that you know so like my whole life changed significantly thanks to music yeah and even at the restaurants and we can talk about it later like um I think everything as a musician, you know what I mean? Like the essence of like selling out or this, you know, yeah, this, this, are, 
Exactly, yeah. you know? It's like, I always think like, like, nah, I, I don't say what Kurt Cobain would do, you know? But, but kind of like that's in the yeah. back of my head yeah. all the time, you know? Yeah. So, but, but not much happened. Like, I, I, it was a lot of drinking, a lot of like partying, so you know? like you're supposed to do in your late ex- teens. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. A lot of dating, you know? So like, um, I got it all out uh, from my system. So Good. now well, I'm more chill. So. so at what point do you have this idea in your head that I want to go to America? Okay, so there's a misconception in other countries, maybe not so much now, uh, than Americans were cold, you know, than they were like... Uh, Say cold, cold, cold yeah. people like yeah. nana, affectionate, whatever. Which compared to an Argentinian, everybody's cold because we are very maybe you know, yeah yeah. <laughs> it's Italian Latin. Can you imagine that? It's just like passion to all like tough very, around the edges. Yeah, you you walk in the street in Buenos Aires and you think that everybody's like fighting to each other. Uh, you know, no, just having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it wasn't like oh, I want to go to the states. Uh, it was. Um, I was, I'm very spontaneous and very like, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily plan things. I hate planning things. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Dude. So <laughs> I, um, I, I was dating a girl who, uh, her father was a soap opera actor and from Argentina. Um, soap opera is recorded in Miami. Okay. He was getting married with his like 12th wife or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so she, she asked me if I wanted to go. I, I say, sure. I asked some friends, let's go to a wedding in Miami. And then we, we met some other people in the plane. We never made it to the wedding. And, <laughs> and that's how we ended up. Did your in, girlfriend go to the wedding at least? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. She might have been in trouble. <laughs> she did. She did, but we broke up after that because... Uh, because we, you didn't go to the wedding? <laughs> well, we, we, we got caught up with the party scene of the raves and everything in, in Miami. Yeah, it was in, a wild time. Yeah, South Beach. Miami. Yeah. Was this the 90s? Yeah. Or no, no it's 2000. Yeah, 2000. still a wild time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To was, this day, it's a wild time. Yeah, it was like, we, seriously, we were having so much fun that we uh, overstay our visa. Like, Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, so we were like, well, if you overstay your visa, then you can't come back. If you leave, you can't come back for five years or something like that. Wait, if you leave your country... Mm-hmm. And you're in America, and you try to go back to your country. You can't go back. No, you cannot come back to the states. Oh, so you you get like a in the penalty box. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were like, well, we're not gonna be able to come for five years. We're in our twenties, so let's check out other places. Let's stay while we're here. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how we moved to uh, Colorado. We it's we not a short ride. No, but the reason why we moved to Colorado was uh, we heard about it because. We work in a surf shop by then, and I was the snowboard uh, technician or the person. If you come in and you need a snowboard uh, set up, you know, I would make sure. snowboards in Miami? No, no, in Buenos Aires. Oh, okay. Got this it, was got in it. Buenos Aires. Got it. My job. So by then, the job that I quit to move to go to Miami, it was a surf shop. Got it. And I was the snowboard instructor, too. So like... We were like, oh, let's go to Vail. Vail by then, Vail, Colorado yeah. was number one ski resort in the world. So we were like, let's go there. You know, it's like for people who snowboard, that would yeah. be like the amazing street. Yeah, right? like you're here, you can't come back for five more years. Let's go to Vail. Exactly. Sure. So we took a Greyhound to uh, from Miami Oof. to I know to Vail. What is that? Like a, a thirty-hour drive? I don't know, but like the thing is, like, what is different in? In Europe and in South America, 
taking a bus, you meet a lot of people. It's actually cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Here was not that. Yeah, public transportation <laughs> in America is <laughs> no. horrible. Here was like, oh my God, we thought we were going to meet all these scares and everything. <laughs> we meet, and it, like, I think the only lady I met was, she was 90 years old. And she I was, she like, was cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you make it to Vail. Yeah, and we needed to eat. And we were five people sleeping in a pickup truck and a friend of us uh, provide. <laughs> so I was desperate. So I move in, uh, go to this restaurant uh, in the back door, ask the chef for a job. And the chef is like, we're not. I say, I do anything. We literally didn't have food. Yeah, uh, We were, uh, I don't know, it's a long story, but like we, we don't have any money. So the guy is like, no, I, I, uh, uh, give me your phone number. I call you back, you yeah. know, and that's never gonna work. So they were delivering at the moment, and I was. Do you even have a phone number at this? Because no, 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 no. Okay. And um, what year is it at this point? Uh, two thousand one. Okay. So the phone number I have is like my friend who who was the contact Got there it. that he would say, uh, uh, give my phone number, of yeah, course. Yeah. And put my address too, but I wasn't living in their house. So I um, I was so desperate that they start a delivery was being dropped there uh, for the restaurant and a lot of boxes. And I started grabbing boxes and putting them away, helping put them away. And the <laughs> chef was like, okay, sure, put a share on. And, <laughs> and, but that's, that's the desperation part, yeah. which, which sometimes is good, you know. But I mean, it also just shows like seriousness too. You yeah. Know? And uh, I love the stories when I talk to people of just people just like they'll get a stage, right? Yeah. And then they're, it's like a two day stage. Yeah. And then 10 days later, they're still there and people are like, Is this guy, do we hire him? Yeah. And they're just like, no, he just never left. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, and I was so desperate for money and I was so scared of being fired. And if there was some, free time I would just go into the tile grout and clean the tile you know I, I, would, <laughs> I would do, I would, do I would keep myself always working it's amazing how your brain just kind of kicks in you yeah. know like when yeah. you're desperate like that and you need uh-huh. a solution like your, your brain just finds things to do to like yeah. find a way yeah so uh-huh. how long were you working at this restaurant well um, I worked there I would say four or four years four years but in the same time I always have uh, other jobs Okay. Like I always have two jobs. So you worked there for four years. Mm-hmm. You came to um, Minnesota in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, I think it was two thousand six. Okay, two thousand six yeah. years. So you yeah. had an, so four years. This one restaurant. What yeah. was the restaurant? Was it a well known restaurant? No, it's called Venderas. It was a Italian, not good Italian okay. restaurant. <laughs> the thing is, they promoted me right away to sous chef because I was like coming up with. Special something like that, you know. I was. Did you, grow, you grew up around food. So. I, I, yeah, yeah. And with Italian food, yeah. especially. So for me, it was like you know. Where's I was the like, Where's the cow brain? Yeah, and <laughs> my my mom, you know, my dad left us when he uh, we were eight. So from eight to thirteen, my mom were full time. There was no. Uh, 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 she cannot have a babysitter. Or, yeah. or, or, so you cook or, for yourself. So I would cook yeah. dinner and lunch uh, for myself. So. Got it, got mm-hmm. it. So you quickly were promoted to Sue. Yeah. Um, you were there for four years. Yeah. Um, did you learn anything, like, as far as what it takes to be successful? Uh, n- no. What I learned from there in particular was 
one not to do. I was that. waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, can you give me so, an example without being like a wife. dick? I don't want to like pull no, like, name for example, mud, like, uh, you know, it was an Italian restaurant and we will have enchiladas for lunch, you know what I mean? In the menu, or we will have like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's okay to, and I like to mix concepts in my restaurants. I don't like to have like, you know, if I serve Italian food in America, my restaurant will be empty because people. What people think of Italian food is nighttime food. Right. It's Italian food time. is olive oil, salt, pepper, eggplant. That's yeah, it. Just fresh. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like olive oil, salt, and pepper. Cooked, maybe some lemon. well. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. And people here would not buy into that. You mm. need you need a little tomato American. sauce and lots of cheese. <laughs> exactly. So um, that's what I learned from there. But in the same time, I also learned that. This can't be this easy. You know what I mean? This can't be this easy? Yeah. What do you like, mean by that? Well, because they thought like the owner was like, oh my God, you, your food is so good. You know what I mean? Yeah. The specials, whatever. Like, And I was like, wait, hold on. I never have any training or anything. Yeah. So I start having the other jobs that I have besides that one. Uh, I work in a place that it was great. It was uh, called Sweet Basil which was one of the best restaurants there. Okay. That was Sweet Basil? Yeah. Um, another French restaurant called La Tour, uh, then also was one of the best restaurants in Colorado. So I started working in restaurants, and, and, and I realized there that it wasn't that easy as I thought. Yeah. You know? Uh, there was other uh, technique and attention to detail than, than, you know, than I needed to learn. So you never went back to Argentina? I didn't go to Argentina until long time until I got a citizenship. Yeah. Okay. When was that? Oof, uh, 2009, maybe. 2009. Wow. 2010. So were yeah. you? And, and I hate. I don't. Yeah. Want to use this word like? I was undocumented. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. I want to say legal. No, no. I was undocumented uh, worker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, For a that, long time. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you had a you you waited so long to start opening your own places? No, uh, that was intentional. Uh, okay. When I got promoted, you know, sometimes bad things happen for good reasons. For uh, um, When I got promoted six months after working uh, to the chef, um, and then realizing that there's another war out there that I was not ready for yet. The uh, world of fine dining. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, I realized that it was a mistake for me to take the position as a sous chef, but, you know, I was getting paid, so I took it. But then I make a commitment to don't burn stages. So be a line cook for five years. Be a sous chef for, like, two years. Be a chef for two years. You know what I mean? Like, intentionally, I took my time between things. What's the value in that? Well... You think that you don't learn, uh, and I always tell my staff and everybody that knows me, it's like every day, if you didn't get better at something, anything, like either cooking or, you know, or finances or, or as a person or anything, you waste that day. Yes. You know what I mean? So I think like even if you don't think that you're learning stuff, when you're young as a chef, you think you can be a chef of a restaurant a year after, you know? No. You're gonna, so much you, you're gonna learn a lot of stuff sometimes like what not to do sometimes what to do you know yeah. what I mean so so when you got the executive chef role was yeah. that in Vail 
No, no, no. Uh, my first executive chef was uh, here in Minneapolis. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what? When you you were at Sweet Basil and yeah, uh, I was a line cook there. Line cook. Okay. So were those years you were, So when you came to, so what was the reason for leaving Minneapolis or leaving Vale? Uh, I met this girl. So you know, snowboard. It's a girl. Snowboard, <laughs> snowboarding in two thousand. You know, it was the party scene was. Yeah, I mean, the snowboarding was amazing too. By the way, yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> it was great. But like you know, it was your day was like this. You um, start drinking at like. Uh, you you go snowboarding at eight in the morning, nine in the morning to the mountain, whatever. Um, get in the bus, go to the mountain, then go up a ski at like two thirty, three p.m. Get a couple shots, get a couple beers, go to work at four. All the restaurants, uh, the PM shifts, you start at four because everybody going there they yeah. want to snowboard, yeah, right? Yeah. So they have heavy prep teams in the morning, and then drink through the shift. Then do some other stuff. Then, then they are very available yeah. in ski results. Uh, results. So I was like very caught up in that scene of like you know party. drugs, partying, like you know cocaine in particular. Yeah. And uh, I met this girl who uh, she was not into that. She was a snowboarder. She she went to art school in, to Madison. Then she took a sabbatical year, sabbatical year yeah. in. Uh, one year, and that's when we met. Got it. And I was like, holy shit, she doesn't do drugs. She doesn't, you know? So I was like, it was very What are we going to do me. when we hang out? <laughs> yeah, you know? So, uh, and especially I felt like I was in this wheel, you know, of like every day the same partying, yeah. you know? Every day Hanover is just like, uh, just thinking about it right now made me sick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, so we met. She went to uh, med school here after so she had to come back here for med school. And uh, so I moved with her. And um, so that's the reason why so I ended up out. here. Okay. Yeah. So at this point mm-hmm. in your story, are you committed to the restaurant industry? Is this your, is this your career? Is this yeah, your path? Yeah, is yeah. what you want to do? So I told you I was in a band before. Yeah. When I started creating dishes for, which I was very, I started buying every book, you know, I'm, I'm every time. I'm doing something, I buy books, and I try to self-educate. Yeah. Self-education is huge for yes. me. Uh, right now, it's just, I, I think I bought and I read every real estate book that I could have because that's what I want to uh, Well, do you're next. in real estate now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's amazing all the hats a restaurant tour has to wear. Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So, so I start um, reading about stuff, so yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you come to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a plan on who you wanted to work for or where you wanted to work? Minnesota in the early 2000s probably wasn't known for its food scene. It wasn't good. I, I remember being <laughs> depressed. You it, go from Vail, which yeah. had a lot of money and people yeah, exactly. that, that brought in the talent. Yeah. Uh, and then to Minnesota. It was depressing. depressing. Yeah. What year was it when you came uh, here? 2006, Seven? I Six, think you said it was. That. Yeah, I, already, yeah. I already asked you that question. Sorry. And, and seriously, if you put a gun in my head, I said 2006, but I'm... But things were just starting to get going around that time. Exact, everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, I got so lucky that I got to apply in this uh, job and I met the guy, this cool guy, Eric Sather, is his name. Uh, Eric, now he owns uh, 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 Larry Hills Meats, and, and he was the, uh, a chef at Bar La Grassa in the beginning and, and um, a lot of places. Got it. So this guy is into snowboarding. Oh, okay. So we started c- cutting up like that. And he actually, 
I think he hired me because he liked me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, he was working for Tim McKee. That was my first job. And I got lucky because the three people that really created this town, culinary scene, is uh, Tim McKee, Isaac Baker, you know, Alex Roberts. Like, most people came out from D'Amico Cucina. I don't know if you're familiar with D'Amico Cucina. No. I don't know if now it's, you know, it's maybe it's a little tired after so long. So it was you know? T. Mackie, Isaac Baker. Who was the other person? Uh, I think Alex Roberts. Those were the three first, like, Shakespeare Wars. Got uh, it. When Shakespeare meant something different. Nah. Yeah. I mean, what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, I'm not going to touch that. I'll, I, I'll let I, you get a little. <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, I think since we are. I have my own opinions. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so you, you just hit a chord with me. So. Yeah, I, I think now it's a, con- <laughs> I, I think now it's since uh, we and I say You don't this. have to answer that if you don't want yeah. to. But if you want to talk about it, I won't stop you because I think it's interesting. <laughs> well, it's just, a con- it's, it's just. It's not know, what it used to be. Instagram or things like that. It doesn't matter about the restaurant anymore. I don't think it's about yeah. influence it's exactly a, yeah and the, you know this is one of you i'm about to go down a rabbit no don't no, it, it, yeah. uh it's a lot of the reasons why I, i'm there's a lot of people out there talking about the current world and how you become successful in the world today yeah and i think we need to take a and it, anything you learn about how to be successful in today's world as far as using multimedia and social media to create your brand and promote yourself i think it's great that you have these tools to do it but at the same time it's like we're in this like vacuum like yeah. we're, we're like we're so close to the issue that we can't see it mm-hmm. and uh to the point that you're making and like it, it should be on you should be rewarded for the work you do not exactly. not for how good you are telling I, the world i intention uh, how good you are exactly <laughs> i intentionally don't have uh social media i'm not in any social media uh platform intentionally and also we don't have a pr we never use a pr company so that's amazing that yeah you're, you're, um and and I do it intentionally. Like sometimes, you know, uh, people is like, "Oh, you should do more." You know, you should you should have an Instagram, whatever. I'm like, no, because I want to prove that you can do this. You're inspiring me right now because I yeah. I'm dealing with this internal dialogue too. Like because I have a, a a media company. Yeah. You know, like how else you can't come yeah. to my restaurant to learn about what I do. Exactly. You, you have to like stumble across my podcast. So. Yeah. It's weird because like there's almost to the point where like you need social media to be successful today, and, and it's not it's true. Yeah. It, it, but it, it, there's a degree to, of truth to it, yeah. and the fact that there's a degree of truth to it, I think, is a problem. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be true. It should be a restaurant, right? It, it should be your service, your food, yeah. you know. And that's one another model or whatever that we have uh, at my restaurants is like because we're growing, you know. When you grow, you're gonna fall maybe into the corporate uh, way to do things, which is, is bad. Coming from music, w- once you start, like, you know, letting producers or lawyers or whatever to tell you how to run your band or how to run yeah. your restaurant. You lose the soul. The soul. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my another slogan that we have is, like, um, food and service over systems mm. and some people it's not for everybody for some people they might come to my company and they will say oh it's disorganized or, yeah. or they change their mind a lot I do change my mind daily well I mean if you're if you're not changing your mind you're not growing I, exactly and yeah. I stick to my guns but like people some people especially like younger generations they want everything laid out you know what I mean I never asked for a job description when I was a, an employee never 
and now it's the first thing they ask you, yeah. you know. And I understand you have to have him, uh, but it's just like, I don't know, it's like the job needs to get done, you know. Yeah. I mean? I'm not going to put that in paper, you know what right. I mean? So, I hear you. Yeah, it's a weird world we live in right exactly. now. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so you come, you land in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, is it T. Mackey? Am I saying that correctly? Tim Mackey. Tim McKee. Tim McKee. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Uh, Isaac Baker, Alex Roberts. Yeah. Who do you work for? Uh, I work for Tim McKee for uh, two different restaurants, Solera and uh, Bar La, um, La, Vie, La Vie La Vie. Got it. That was a French restaurant. So uh, I worked for him for a long time, but then I worked with all the other good chefs in town. Like, you know, what is then, a long time? Because I think it's important that we understand. Oh, like, uh, I My... I always have my main job, you know, that I keep for resume, not less than two uh, years. Not less than two years. Yeah. Yeah. But then I have part-time or or full-time jobs because I didn't go to culinary school. I tried to work with every chef in town. So are you you getting paid for these other jobs or are you staging? No, no. I was getting paid. Okay. Yeah. I will have two full-time jobs. Like I will work 40 to 100 hours a week. And because I needed to send money to my family too and stuff. So, so when you had a part-time job, were you transparent with them saying like, listen, like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. my part-time job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to come I'm going to work for you, but like, I'm not going to give you a year. Yeah. I'm here to learn. Yeah, exactly. How do, how do you go about doing that without being disrespectful or. Well, I would put, I would put everything I had. I wasn't just being yeah, like. Yeah, you're working well. Yeah. I smoking a cigarette you know, and be like <laughs> complaining about it. I, I was there choppy chop, chop, chop work. So how much time would you spend at a part-time job? Uh, six months to a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, if I like the place over like over that, but usually six months, you know. So this time period is 2006 to 2000, yeah. like we'll say 10 in that, yeah. that period. Cause in 2010 you left for, for Portland, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So how did you, was there a pivotal point for you, an evolutionary point for you during this time? Exactly. Um, I think meeting Isaac Baker, what, uh, what was it about Isaac? He was, uh, I have the same values than him as a person. Like he would not, go to the dining room and smooch people. I hate that, to be honest. Um, I go to a table if they really, really ask me, but everybody who knows me, they're like, I'm not going to go walk in the dining room. I think it's just clowny. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I think meeting Isaac, he, he had the same values, you know, and he was also coming from music. You know what I mean? I'm from the same kind of music. What are the values? Well, just... Put the work in the food, in the service. Don't worry about like all the other stuff. You know if what you, I mean? If you do the job right. Well, people will come. Everything will take care of itself. Yes. You know? And I think that's a little bit, uh, I think like most of my people, like I have this guy, Jeff Watson, his name, one of the most talented uh, chefs. You, you're going to hear about him. He worked for me for like since Barla Grassa, so over 13 years and he's the same he has the same demeanor the same you know he's quiet he doesn't have instagram he doesn't you know uh and i think people like that uh, also steve mcmullen he he also worked for me he's w- one of those guys who are gonna go to places just i can tell because they focus about food and 
and service and not about all the other stuff, you know? Yeah, Also, um, just being honest, you know what I mean? With, with honest with the food and honest with everything, you know? Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of micro values than, than too many to enlist, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so you, you help, oh, sorry, go yeah, ahead. No, but I got very like, you know, attracted to that, uh, working with them. And I think like, I felt for first time, like, okay, I wasn't crazy. You know what I mean? I, I was right about even to get a promotion, you know, some people will get promotions more often than me, you know? And, I was like, everybody was like, that was weird, you know, but like, they were better uh, uh, smooshing the, the chef or whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't like doing stuff like that. So if, 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 if I like you, you can tell if I don't like you, I don't talk to you. I, I don't. Well, I thank don't. you for talking to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 2009, you opened Barla Grasa. Barla Grasa. Mm-hmm. Um, that was with Isaac, your mentor. Isaac and Eric Seder, that guy okay. who hired me the first time. Got he it. was the one who brought me. And yeah. it was very cool because the three of us are very similar in many ways, but very different about like what we brought to the table. Uh, Eric Seder, he's a, um, he comes from butcher. He was a butcher and, and farming. So he was, he brought that, you know, I brought like, like punk rocky like creative you know what i mean not thinking like oh i'm gonna make italian food i'm gonna base it on this book the standards exactly you know i'm just gonna be like let's say fish sauce it's an ingredient that i use a lot right and people is like think fish sauce they think like vietnamese or whatever no every culture every culture has has uh, some kind of like fish sauce you know the Romans have garum, okay. and and you can still find Italian uh, uh, fish sauce now. This called colatura, and it's very popular in in Sicily and certain uh, you know places with ocean around it. So it. things like that. It's just like traveling. I think gave me the because I always travel, even when I was a kid, a teenager, yeah. whatever. Um, Traveling opened my eyes about, like, some people don't understand things like that. Fish sauce is an example, right? Like, um, or, you know, when you think like kimchi, right? Like, uh, well, peppers, that's base, uh, the base uh, of kimchi, right? Like hot peppers, like... The, the base. Peppers e- are the base of e- kimchi. Exactly. Like, there was no peppers until Christopher Cologne, you know, so, so I don't know, like understanding history and, and even anthropology, you know what I mean? You just hit a vein with me, man. I love, I think, I think our, the secrets to our future are in our past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what you're, what I'm hearing from you is you would use what you knew from your research, your studies, not necessarily the cookbooks, but from like the, the encyclopedias and the, the lessons about history and what people were using to, to, and that was influencing you, not what other people were doing. No, no. And, and that was what I thought I brought to the table. And also like, you know, I don't cook for myself. Uh, I try to... Most chefs don't. <laughs> I try to pepper, you know, yeah. what I like to eat. Uh, well, everything I put in the restaurants, like, is things that I like to eat. B- but I think, like, okay, if these three breads with, like, 
with fish sauce it's gonna sell no it's not gonna sell why are you gonna put it in the menu you know what i mean you're gonna alienate people so like try to just you know like think what people understanding your market you know what yeah, i mean that's gotcha. that's something that is very important too i think so correct me if i'm wrong yeah. but you were there for the opening at bar la grassa yeah you help open that restaurant yeah um were you just an employee at this point yeah i was an employee, employee. i was uh this uh executive sous chef got mm-hmm. it um at this at this point, do you have dreams to open your own restaurant? Is that the goal yeah. for you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, how did going to Portland and traveling Europe? So, how was that a part of the the plan? Exactly. My by then wife, uh, she was doing her residency, uh, and she was uh, doing was this a snowboarder girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I think neurologist. Uh, she's a neurologist now. Okay. She's a male. But uh, she um, had to move to Portland. Um, I always liked the idea of going to Portland because yeah. it was like... The food scene then was amazing. It's now, too. Uh, Maybe not as much, but... A lot of restaurants closed because, you know, a lot of things happened there. So Yeah. Um, well, the, 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 the growing season there, the, the valleys... It's so good. The, the rain, the, ingredients? the earth, the, the volcanic soil. Deep best, deep yeah, best. Like, so if you have a... I tell this to people, like, if you get a good potato from Washington or from, you know, uh, Idaho or whatever, a fresh potato, you can eat as an apple. You know what I mean? Some people don't, don't or Walla Walla onions, you can buy two of Walla Walla onions and it's sweet. You know what oh, I mean? Really? Having ingredients like that, that was the thing that culinary, in culinary wise, like it was one of the things that changed me forever moving there yeah. and I'm going to tell you what, I, I, I went there and I wanted to work with the best there right this, this guy Vitali Paley's, Uh I've had him on the show you did? yes he was my other mentor like uh, you know like another person that molded me as a chef he was this Russian uh, guy who uh, has this I, I think he started the whole Pacific Northwest uh, cuisine. Yeah, just, just keeping the food simple. Yeah. I think I remember that being a big part of our conversation. And, and, and the people, they would tell you, if you work, if you want to be somebody in, in Oregon, in Portland, you have to work for him. Yeah. Uh, all Everybody worked for him there, pretty much. So the cool thing about this restaurant was like, there was three stations, meat station, fish station, and coal station. And you will get a box every day, and you will not know what the menu was. And by 3.30, you have to tell the manager your menu that you created, the cooks created, which was great. You That's know? cool. There was like five items in the menu, than, you know, the beef tartare, and it was a French rest bistro, so uh, escargot, the burger. Those five items were always there. But then you have to create two or three items per station yeah. based on that basket of produce of fish or whatever what's so, available yeah exactly so i i wanted to push myself so i would go there two hours three hours before just to make pasta or make things and i wanted to prove to myself and try to get the better at everything you know what i mean so i did that and i also did I, we would get a pig every week and i would have to uh, he has a big uh, chakruti program, and he um, I, I took over that. So every yeah. Thursday, 
four days a week I work as a line cook, and one day a week I will be the charcuterie. Oh, man. So I will. You must have loved it out there. I would do whatever. <laughs> yeah. he, he would give me whatever you want. Yeah. This is the pig. All I had to keep was the 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 loin, you know, because those you don't use that in charcuterie so it. much. Got it. But Can you spell his name for me? Because I know I had oh, him on the show, but I'm trying to remember what I'm saying. Vitaly Got it. Um, Paley. P-A-L-E-Y. All right, I'm going to look this up. In case the listeners want to check out that episode. Yeah. Um, 532. Yeah. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 532 if you want to check out Vitaly's episode. So, yeah. Sorry about that. He's, so, he's great. He, he was, he great. was he, he also, the same way that Isaac and Tim, too, Tim McKee, uh, the composition of dishes, I got it from Tim McKee. He was amazing at composing dishes. Like, it makes sense, you know what I mean? Uh, that's what I got from Tim McKee, I think. Composition of dishes. Uh, he's also a very nice guy. Like, everybody, like, this nobody can say anything bad about it. Can you guy. give me like an example of like a, a, comp- a composition of a dish? Like things like tricks, like tricks of the trade, things to do yeah. that will elevate the representation of a, a plate. Yeah, so it's, it's just like, you know, having the right texture, the right, you know, uh, spice level or, or, but you know, like acid. You know, every dish has to have some acid, has to have some uh, texture, you know what I mean? Things like that. That's one thing then with Tim, but also like how it looks in the play, you know, like um, not too playful, not, you know, like adult food, yeah. you know, not like little dots, you know. How do you feel I, about tweezers? Like, tweezers, uh, they're fine. <laughs> okay. They're fine. They have their place. Uh, I'm not, I, you know, I used to tweezers in the past, like they have their place, but um, I don't have a problem. I do have a problem with dots uh-huh. or microgreens. I, I, I I, I would vomit, you know what I mean? Like if somebody put a microgreen on top of something, you know? So, just to give it a little color. It's just... Well, you use real stuff. You yeah. use parsley leaves. Use Got celery it. leaves, you know? Uh, Got it. Use other stuff, not microgreens. So. so at what point... So looking at your timeline, you're yeah. in you're in Portland. Um, mm-hmm. How long were you there? Three years. Mm-hmm. Was it tough for you to leave after, you know, being in Minneapolis where the food no, scene at that time wasn't? No, no because it took, it a, I took a nine-month trip uh, to Europe to work, to stash in, in different restaurants. Nice. Was your wife with you? Uh, no, but uh, uh, then, no, 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 she was here. Got we it. still worked together, but she, was, she stayed here. And um, I stashed, I went to London, I stashed in as many places as I could. And then I went to Denmark and I stashed there at uh, Noma. So, what were you trying to achieve with your stages? Did you have a strategy? Were you trying to get better in a certain area? I knew in 2012, Isaac Becker called me back to open this new restaurant called Birch Steaks. Got it. And uh, I was, it was going to be my first, from the beginning, executive chef job ever. So I was like, I want to be the best. I want to see what the best are doing, you know. And uh, this is restaurant in London called St. John's. Um, it's one chef that transformed me forever. Uh, two, um, uh, Fergus Henderson is his name. Um, I wanted to stash there, and I took the opportunity to, to stash at all restaurants. Uh, I love British uh, restaurants uh, you know by then uh 
uh, what was that place called? Uh, the Fat Duck. Uh, they opened another restaurant called uh, Dinner. Okay. Uh, I loved that. It was like they would do dishes from the 1800s, 1600s, but like interpreting in, in, in a modern approach, things Got like it. that. So I wanted to see what the best were doing. So, you know. Uh, you got after it. To come back. Yeah, yeah. to come back. And yeah. then Noma was like, you know, like people think that you're going to Noma, you're cooking, you're not cooking anything, you're peeling peas, you're doing things like that. Yeah. But it was good to see like, also I did a lot of, uh, I met a lot of people that now they are chefs in the world, you know, like, and, and I have a relationship with them. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good thing to go, to go there. I tell you though, we I will wake up at six in the morning, start working until like midnight for free, and uh, and then you have the post chef meeting. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, so you come back. Yeah. Um, you're opening this restaurant, yeah. the Birch Steak and yeah. Pizza. You're not a you're not a partner. No, you're, you're the executive chef. Executive chef. But I told Isaac like I wanna I want you. Teach me how to own a restaurant. I wanna, mm. tre- I wanna treat it as if I like was a owner, stage. owner, not like a food stage, but an owner stage. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So, what did that look like? What did he teach you? Well, he. How did this experience prepare you? Like he, he included me in every decision. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and I learned by by execution, not by you know. It, he didn't sit me down and say, "I'm gonna show you this." He yeah. was just executing every day. From the beginning, and I learned how to do everything. While I was at Birch, too, I knew that the next step was going to be uh, owning my restaurant. So as I was a chef, I started, uh, you know, the W set is a wine and spirit education trust. Got it. It's kind of like a sommelier, but without the service part, which I was not interested about. It's just, just the wine knowledge. It's wine, yeah. So I was starting to be a master of wine. There are four levels. I finished level three, but I uh, I couldn't keep going because I was busy opening Martina. But uh, so when I was at Birch, I was learning to, you know, be a uh, executive chef owner uh, for what is it? Six years, I think I stayed there, or no, five years, four yeah. years, five years, because I started working there in 2012. Yeah. And um, in the meantime, I would work as a barista, uh, as a part-time chap, to learn how to make proper coffee. You Got know it. what I mean? So I, when so, I have a restaurant, I will have all the knowledge of wine. So you're pretty well-rounded when you're ready to open your own restaurant. Yeah, you yeah. You a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finances, like I think I buy every book that I could buy of restaurant finances. And I bet you own restaurant. No, wait, what is it? Restaurant numbers. Wait. Restaurant by the numbers. Yeah, restaurant yeah. by the numbers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every book. And I think like if I have to have an, uh, 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 if I give an advice to a young cook, it's like stay with people for long. Don't think that you know everything. You know, just every day, like just learn how scallops react when you put in the pan when it's hotter or or how much oil you put in the pan. You know, like. You can learn every day something. And yeah. if you don't think that you're learning, I'm not saying like learning like, oh, wow, I learned this new technique today. But like little things. You know how to I mean? do one thing better. Exactly. Like know how to, which now if I get in a kitchen, you know, I haven't been in a kitchen for a long time. Yeah. So like I'm a mess, right? It's <laughs> like cooking at home, right? Yeah. But like 
when I was a line cook, you know, just put the same bottle in the same spot, you know, yeah. put the same spoon in the same spot. And that's going to help you be a better cook. You know right. what I mean? Me some plus muscle memory. Exactly. Muscle things. memory and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I opened Birch. Um, was this I, your first, re- this is your second restaurant opening, right? Because you, yeah. you opened... Um, Bar La Grasse. No, yeah. I opened a couple in the part-time jobs. Okay, I got it. I opened five yeah. or six so other restaurants. I just wanted to bring that to the surface because it's yeah. not enough to know how to cook and know how to cook a lot of different things well. Yeah. You really got to know there's working in a restaurant and then there's owning a restaurant, but there's a whole other vertical of opening restaurants. Opening a restaurant, That's yeah. a completely different beast. Exactly. So getting that experience, you know, sharpening your, your, your knife with the... The, the how to cook better, but you know how to lead a team better. But if you, if you really want to open a restaurant, mm-hmm. go out and open restaurants with mm-hmm. on someone else's dollar and learn mm-hmm. that business. That's that's a different beast. Yeah. Um, so I also want not to do too when I was when I opened Birch. You know, I was going through a divorce. I uh, my dad uh, passed away, and I couldn't go and and see him because it was the opening week. Then we opened Birch. It was my food. I could not go to my Ugh. with my dad. You know, so yeah. like that was. That was in my head, and I was going through a divorce. So I was drinking a lot, and I think I was a, an asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so learn not to be an asshole. Too, Give me you an know? example. This is awkward. I, mean, yeah. I, I usually yeah. warn my guests. I don't think I gave you the warning. Yeah. I like to talk about personal things. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. No. But it's yeah. because it's in these personal moments. I yeah. mean, business is all about relationships. Yeah. Business, you know, so like to be successful, you need to learn how to become a better person. Yeah. And you learn through being a shitty person and realizing you don't want to be that person again. Yeah. Right. I, and it so took like me what, a long time for me to stop being an asshole. So what, what kind of things were you doing? That was an, like an asshole thing to do. Yelling. Yeah. Um, sometimes being too personal, you know what I mean? Telling to somebody like, you keep doing the same, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like I learned, with time than not very tactical exactly yeah no no no, no. yeah um you know I, w- I would never sit down with a, a cook and and just have a conversation i would tell him during service like you burning this yeah. motherfucker you know what <laughs> i mean like um, you, wait, you wouldn't wait until afterwards but like hey exactly you know, which yeah. i recommend doing yeah. now you know wait Why? until because cool down a little bit yeah. you know what i mean and and so the message can be heard yeah. without being just an ag- aggressive. Yeah, and if you don't want that person to fuck up again, they're absolutely going to. If exactly. all they're thinking about is how much they hate you in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So like, I learned that, but I, I, I'm not super proud of who I was in the first years of my career. You yeah, know? got it. Um, uh, so, any key, any other key lessons before we take our first break to thank our yeah. sponsors about uh, what you learned? going to open that restaurant, Perch Steak and Pizza and Bar? Mm-hmm. Um, what did I learn? I don't know. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, I don't it, need to force it. It had a 275 seats. Wow. You know what I mean? So this is the first volume restaurant you did? Uh, it was big volume. But I guess it was big too. It's 175, I think it has. But uh, 275 seats. I don't know. Like... I, I'm very proud of what we did there. Yeah. So it's not that I learned what not to do so much. I learned like to stick to my guns about a lot of stuff. Got it. So um, awesome. Well, we're going to take our first break to, to thank our sponsors, and we're going to come back and talk about what it was like opening your first restaurant, uh, Martina, where we're sitting today, back in 2017.
This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals in videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with One Huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on One Huddle versus traditional micro learning and video based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this, you're looking at a more engaged worker too because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one in huddle, like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to one huddles game shop, which includes 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. We're back. And in your story, the year is now 2017. You're, you're breaking off to go open your first restaurant, uh, which is Martina, where we're sitting today. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the strategy? What was the plan? How did you pull this off? Um, so I got approached by a person who, uh, his name is Ben Hertz, and uh, he has a lot of energy. Um, and he was like, hey, let's open, you know, let's, uh, open a restaurant, whatever. I have an investor or whatever. So we were going to open a the second restaurant, actually, that we opened, Colita, first. Okay. But the thing is, the Martina building, there was a restaurant before, was opening up. So they asked me, hey, um, would you open Martina first? Uh, so I say, okay, yeah. Um, would you open a restaurant in this place? And I say, okay, based on the demographic in that restaurant, I want to open this kind of restaurant. It's an Italian-Argentinian uh, restaurant uh, that I had in mind. Um, I didn't have any money uh, to open. I live paycheck by paycheck, and I don't have, besides my car, and I always like expensive cars, even when I can afford them. <laughs> That's the Italian in you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Latin, you know, like we, we buy cars before houses. Um, so... Uh, I didn't have any money, so this person say, uh, you can be an owner. And I say, okay, but I don't have any money. Oh, don't worry about the money. I say, they say, you're going to be 19% owner, 
That's because of liquor laws and things like that. It's a nineteen one nine. Nineteen one nine, and then uh, you don't have to put any money. You just have to to remodel the place. Was five hundred thousand dollars to make it my own. You know, like the kitchen we didn't change much, but the whole front we changed it completely. Got it. Um, and um, I was like. Okay, so I don't have to put any money, but I have to pay $500,000 back, right? That's, that was the only thing. What I didn't know by then was that the money that they took the loan to put it, they built it into the rent. So my rent is, uh, it was a lot by okay. then. It was like uh, $26,000 a month, you know. Wait, so I want to make sure the yeah. money that they loaned you to build that they put into the rent. Yeah. So the five hundred thousand. Exactly. So you so you had five hundred thousand to to a budget to build out the rest. Right? Uh huh. Was there anything left over to pay the rent? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you didn't know that. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I you opened, spent all the money opening, and yeah. they didn't tell you that you didn't have any money for rent. Yeah, but like we got lucky. So we got busy from the beginning. Okay. So. The, it was good. You didn't really need that runway. No, it was good. Actually, it was a successful uh, thing right away. So I, I spent all the money, and um, and I start. Uh, I partnered with this person called Changros. Changros is a real estate person. Okay. He didn't have much idea of uh, how to run a restaurant, and I don't have any idea how to run a real estate. You mentioned business. a banker too, so you have banker. No, no, no. Uh, ben Hertz is uh, it was the oh. the mediator between me and John Gross. That was Ben Hertz. Hertz. Okay, so Ben Hertz was a mediator. Yeah. Uh, John Gross was your money man. Uh, partner. Partner. Yeah. yeah. Was 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 Ben the money man? No. Uh, John Gross was the one uh, okay. with the money. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I was really curious about this because yeah. it was 2017 is not a long time ago. No, yeah, it's a little, it's a little over five years ago. Uh huh. Like yeah. you went from one location uh-huh. to over eight. Yeah. In a very short period of time, yeah. and I was curious. I was like, how? Uh, and I tell you, I how, assumed yeah. you you were been in, in like the, Martina was around probably since like the early 2000s. Yeah. But like your rate of growth, like I didn't realize that until this morning. Yeah. So. When I opened this, I we got busy right away. And my partner, who is very creative uh, uh, business-wise, and everything was like, okay. John we, Gross. John Gross. We're going to open another restaurant, which was Colita. That was in 2008, uh, 18, one year after. Um, so you had plans to open two restaurants when you first started working. Exactly. Here. Okay. Both, I was 19%, and then eventually I could have buy, after I paid the $500,000, I would be 50% uh, investor, uh, owner. Colita was also $500,000, which now you can now open a restaurant for less than a million and a half. Maybe a pop-up. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks for me to, thanks, thanks to the reason that we put so little money in the restaurants. Yeah. And we did a good job, and we got busy right away. We were very successful, and that was the things that killed me finance the other sex. Got it, got it, got it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, because uh, if you can make two work, and now, now you can go outside of your resources, your immediate resources, your partners, to go exactly. get funding. Right? Exactly, and also balance, you know, creating a balance sheet. That was my goal from day one. I, I, I keep hearing about this balance sheet that nobody talks about. 
And basically, balance sheet is like your PL. Uh, no, the PL is, is great. I, I, I have my. I'm going to fix this mic real quick. Oh, sorry. I have my daily PL that all my chefs have access to and they see all the numbers because I want them to learn. Yeah. Um, so, besides the PL, this, this thing called balance sheet, and most people don't don't even talk about it or don't read but it tells you pretty much the health of your company as a whole right because you can be making a lot of money but if you have five million dollars in debt that shows in the balance sheet so that's yeah. what the banks look at so that's the big picture that's all assets exactly yeah so i knew that for me to stop having partners someday i needed to create a balance sheet because with my expensive car alone without cars yeah. i couldn't get this is how you figure out ebitda right exactly. Like, exactly so you know your value so if you're if you're trying to sell a point or percentage to somebody as yeah. an investor or whatever yeah they know what exactly that that one point is worth exactly yeah so i i started learning about balance sheets so i was like okay every decision i make after that was just to create a balance sheet for me so eventually i don't have to have any it's partners. like a portfolio exactly yeah, yeah. And then um, during the pandemic, I had two options. Get out and all the work that I put for 25 years of my career or 20 years of my career or whatever, um, go to shit. Yeah. So you have two restaurants in 2020, Martina yeah. and Colita. Yeah. Got and it. we were already uh, in the work of opening the third one, Rosalia. Rosalia, got it. So that one, I couldn't just back up. So it was two choices. One was like either just, you know, cocoon, like and not move, or just keep going forward. Uh, I knew based on my childhood, um, the economy of Argentina is pretty crazy. Then hard times always happen and hard times always go away too. Mm -hmm. So it's, Hard time sometimes an opportunity for you to grow. I think I know where this is going. Yeah. Everybody was like having all these empty spaces and all these, you know, uh, and they were scared. Everybody was scared. So nobody was signing leases or whatever. So I was like, that was when I was like, that's my opportunity that's aggressive. to to get better deals. Yeah. You know, better leases. Well, plus better people are getting, like restaurants were closing exactly. and you have all these landlords that are have they don't have any cash flow coming mm -hmm. in. So now for a very short period of time, you as the restaurateur yeah. have the leverage in that relief. The yeah. leverage and you were like, you know, usually like you depend on the bank, you depend, you know, on 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 the landlord or whatever. This time it's just like they depend on you. You yeah. know what I mean. So so it was a good time to, if you had the stomach, if you can stomach the risk. How do we start this conversation? Uh, a scared man never wins. Yeah. Uh huh. You weren't scared. No, I wasn't scared. I was <laughs> well, scared. Nervous, but, maybe. We'll say but, nervous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't easy to, to be honest. I went through depression like everybody else. You know, yeah, like yeah. Uh, like everything. Which yeah. Uh, medication helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so after the pandemic, because of the pandemic, you went into depression? Even yeah. though you had all these opportunities in front of you, that didn't excite you? Um, I would get excited in the beginning, but then I would get depressed. It was depressing because like, I always like to be light. I care what people think of me. Yeah, I get that. And uh, the pandemic put a lot of uh, uh, distance between employees. And you know, all of a sudden, somebody in a position of power which you are when you are an owner of a restaurant 
uh, it was pretty pretty weird for a while, you know. So uh, people that they were my friends, or I thought were my friends, you know, employees. Like my relationships after the pandemic, I was like I put a distance between me and everybody else. I isolate myself to the point that I got depressed, you know. Um, my dogs were my only thing. I didn't trust anybody. You know what I mean? It was weird for a while. Yeah. Um, and I think like every restaurant owner went through that because, right. you know, the the people that work for you, they're they're young people, twenty five. The years rest old. of their life, exactly. They can recover. Exactly, yeah. and they're like, they, they have the you know socially they are the, the more aware and everything, and you're trying to you know. You're tra- trying to keep your business. Yeah, and you know. you're being told that the restaurant industry is never going to be the same. Exactly. Which they I, weren't right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's but we have recovered. Yeah, people yeah. want to go out and eat. Exactly, yeah. and they and people was like, "Oh, uh, take out. It's gonna be like crazy." I was like, "No, that's not gonna do anything." You know, like all the things that people say during the pandemic. I was like, "No, you're crazy." You know what I mean? I mean, and, there's definitely like a, a, like a remnant of the pandemic is still here. And I do think yeah. it galvanized the industry yeah. in the sense that there was a lot of shit wrong with the industry yeah. that we had, we were forced in the, the after effect of people like the mass exodus, yeah. right? Where everyone left the industry. A lot of good people, good talent left. Yeah. yeah. But I think it also at the same time, it, it just like the pandemic was a disaster. It made things better afterwards because yeah. it forced a lot of shitty owners yeah. to realize that they have to start valuing their people. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of bad habits that were in the industry were forced out. Exactly. Yeah, to be honest, for me too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for everybody. Like, what? like um, um, I don't know. Just you know, right now, like I take in consideration. I used to think like. I used to not take in consideration so much the employees' like opinion of how to run my business, and now I just, you know, I listen a little bit more. Yeah. Um, also, like um, I run, I told you that I don't like any corporate aspect in in the restaurant, but the HR thing is, I run a very yeah. corporate. Yeah. Like, like we don't, you know, we are, are no drinking environment at restaurant, which is weird. But like, you know, I was dealing with. HR issues because people would start drinking here, then they would go out, and then yeah. I have to deal with it. I was like, fuck, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, so I run that in a very corporate way, that mm-hmm. part of the business. So, yeah. So, I mean, during like, take, like if you're reflecting on the past yeah. six years, since yeah. 2017, reflecting about the, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the pandemic yeah. because, yeah, I think we we're over it. We don't want to hear about it anymore. Uh, so I'm sure that kind of slowed things down, right? From like 2020 to like 2020, yeah. like late 2021. Mm-hmm. It looks like in 2022 is when things really started to like ramp back up again. Yeah. So you, before 2022, you had three restaurants. Yeah. You've doubled in size in the past year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, take it from there. In t- 2021, we opened uh, Sanchisan. Okay. It was a Japanese-Italian concept. Japanese-Italian. Huh? At the same time I was doing that, um, I was very concerned uh, about the safety and security of my business, right? So these other people approached me from uh, the West, from Waisara, and they asked me if I wanted to open a restaurant with them. And I say, sure, you know, like, no, without investment or anything, like, I'm 20% owner there. And we opened, at the same time I was opening Sanchisan. I opened a restaurant called Josefina 
So I opened two restaurants the same month in, uh, in Wayside. It's an Italian restaurant. I managed, I'm very proud of both of all those restaurants. I, I stand behind those two restaurants. They happen at the same time. Wow. And after that, I was like, I feel very good about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I still stand behind them, and I love the two concepts. And Why do you say still stand behind them? Did something happen that would, might make you not want to stand behind them? No, I, I just saying like after all this time, I keep thinking about it. it how I opened two restaurants at the same time, and, and they were great. And, and they both work. And they That's work. They were both doing great. Not like, the same concept. Two totally different. Two concepts. different concepts. Um, Sanchez-san, uh, I think uh, there was a restaurant there before. I think we quadrupled the sales wow. uh, putting that restaurant there. Yeah. Um, and Josefina, you know, it, 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 it is still going strong and it's doing great. Uh, so I opened those two and I opened a coffee shop around the same time too. Wow. Um, coffee shop, you know, it was one of the things that it was like, I got it with no money invested and stuff, you know. So a lot of these restaurants that you were moving into, the ones we're talking yeah. about, were they basically um, uh, casualties of the pandemic, empty spaces that just didn't survive the pandemic? Some of them, yeah. 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 And then at the same time, I decided to buy my partners out. Okay. Not the ones in Waisada Group, uh, but my partner here, Chan Gross. Okay. Uh, so I went to the bank. It took like six months or to a year, the whole process. But uh, I got SBA loans, uh, two SBA loans, and I bought him. So wow. I, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. So I own the whole thing. You own every restaurant now. Yeah, I don't have investors amazing, or anything. man. I don't, you know, I don't love, I like to just do whatever I want to do. And John, John Gross, I love the guy. I'm going to partner with him eventually again. I was curious about that. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it wasn't an issue with the partnership. It, no, you no, just no. wanted to own more assets. No, you know, like looking back, you know, sometimes, you know, it's a partnership. It's like being married. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's not that we see everything eye to eye. Yeah. I think my bigger thing uh, with him was he wanted always to do service charge uh, because Danny Mayer, you know, yeah, and yeah. I hate, you know, that. So I, you, you're pro tipping. I'm pro tipping. Okay, I'm curious about that. Hundred percent. Okay, it's like it, that's America. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I'm here. That's why I don't live in yeah. in France or in Argentina. It's because I love the spirit, the American spirit. You yeah. know what I mean? And service charge, I hate it, but like we have to do it for a while because we couldn't get people in to work if we wouldn't do that, right? Uh, but. Uh, I didn't want to do it. He really wanted to do it. And um, I think that was the main thing that was like, listen, this is, people think these are Daniel Del Prado restaurants. I don't believe in service charge. I believe in, you know, tipping. So I, tipping. so I, um, that was the main thing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we got an angry customer back there. Yeah. <laughs> She's okay. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Oh man! So uh, I'm curious from yeah. from uh, John Gross's perspective because yeah. he's not an operating partner. He he's a no. businessman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, what is the, what are the eco- the economics of that from that perspective of somebody who is he like what was what, like what's the appeal from and is he like building businesses or does he like just gathering assets and increasing the value in assets? Okay, getting in and getting out. Like what's that? I, approach and this is 
he is my mentor in the real estate. Yeah, I'm sure you. he's got some lessons that he shared with you. Though. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. A restaurant can change a community and not necessarily just the community, all the good aspects of it or bad aspects, but you put a restaurant, the value of everything around Martina and Tilia, Tilia is across the street. Before those two restaurants were here, the value of all the real estate around here was lower. Yeah. So one thing that I learned with them is putting a restaurant, a successful restaurant, you control your rent. If you own the restaurant and the real estate, you control your rent. If you raise the rent, you raise the value. The value of a commercial building is based in obviously in the state of the building and the location. But the main thing is what is called NOI. What's that mean? Net operating income. Got it. So it's kind of like the PNL of uh, real estate. Got it. So the more NOI that you have, the more money that you bring to the bottom line, the more value the restaurant, the building has. Got it. That's how it's value. So the more valuable the real estate, the more valuable the restaurant. Exactly. The, the more rent that you have, the better. Got so it. if you if you let's say you buy this building, right? And you put a restaurant there. And they say the restaurant before was like, it was not a good concept, so it couldn't take more than $6,000 in rent, right? But you put a restaurant that you, you can control and you own. You can raise your rent, double your rent, and it's not so simple, but you double the value of the, the building. So then you can... If you're lucky, the restaurant stays there for 10 years, right? You hopefully pay the building, uh, the loans for the building. And then after that, you have a restaurant, you have a building. Yeah. And Real let's estate. say you're like, okay, I don't want to keep working operating restaurants anymore. You can sell your restaurant. restaurant and your assets. Two separate assets. There. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why I feel like restaurants can be a good business. They can be. This, this is stupid thing that they say, oh, restaurants are risky. Well, they're risky when, when your chef is more time in Instagram than, than yeah. in the kitchen. They're you know risky I mean? when, you're, when, you're, when your business depends on a chef. Exactly. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you run it as a business, they can be better than the stock market. You know, mm-hmm. stock market is 8%, right? Like in average, 8 7%. And we see like it's still down since, since the last two years, right? right? Like, a restaurant can do 10 to 15% profit and give you more, you know, it's, it's a better feeling, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just having the money there. You don't feel so, like, you know, worthless. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. it so, can be fun. So so did John have an, an, an interest in raising the value of this community? Did yes. He, so he had other assets that he owned and he was trying to basically, yeah. hey, if I take these three restaurant locations yeah. and we – we improve those all yeah. ships rise with the yeah. tide yeah. so he's trying to increase the value of the community that he yeah. had interest in yeah exactly and you know uh, I always I, I believe in the universe and, and stuff like that and I always fell to the right person I fell into Tim McKee then with the snowboarding uh, with this guy Eric yeah. Seider then I fell I, I met the universe took me to Isaac you know I, a person who is aligned 100% and I can learn from because that's who I want to be. And then the universe also took me to Chan Gross. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know, I, I learned a lot from him. And, and he was the perfect person for me to partner with to learn about the real estate yeah. part, you know? So in the six-year journey from first restaurant to plus eight restaurants, yeah. what was the biggest hurdle, biggest obstacle for you, not including the pandemic? Um, for me personally, uh, accepting that I deserve, I deserve good things to accepting happen to me. Accepting that you would deserve good things to happen yeah. to you. For me, why didn't you deserve good things before? Uh, I always been, you know, uh, um, I felt not deserving, you know, with everything. Like I, I, I tend to sabotage relationships and everything because of that. You know, I, I, I have a challenging growing up. Yeah. So Trauma. yeah, like I was like, oh, you have to be, you know, for me to be able to grow. Like my role in the company is growth. It's not. I don't. You're not gonna see me at the restaurants every day. Well, you know? I was curious about that when you started to transition out. Exactly, and like number one reason why a restaurant is not successful is owner absentee. So how can I make it work without me being at all the restaurants all the time? So how I can cre- you make it work? So I created this this team, which I mentored for a long time. We have meetings all the time. Right now, there are 15 people in that team, which they're expensive. They're like a lot of money. <laughs> um, but those 15 people, there are some chefs, some are front of the house, some are uh, administrative. All the things that I used to do myself when we opened Martina alone, yeah. plus being a chef and everything, uh, they know my values. They know what is important and stuff. So they act like owners of the whole thing. So that's how uh, helps me focusing in growth you know what i mean what was that 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 transition like going from it being in the restaurant doing everything the way you want to yeah. be done to slowly shedding responsibility it's slowly how it's yeah. slowly you know what i mean it's like for a while i was like i wanted to be the first one when i opened martina i wanted to be the first one here and the last one out you know what i mean so that's seven not days healthy. A week? seven days a week how long did that last oh my god <laughs> when i opened birch <laughs> I didn't want to, until like they start reviewing the, the main thing, I see the review came out. Uh, I came from four stars already. Uh, we did a bar la grassa, so I wanted to have a four-star restaurant, right? Uh, and he took nine months to review me, so I didn't take a day off for nine months. Wow. And I was, you know, working every day. So the same with Martina. Like, I, until the review came out, I, I didn't have a day off or anything. That's one thing about social media that I like. Yeah. Is that it, it, it made those reviews less important. Exactly. And I yeah. think that was a big problem with our industry for a long time. Yeah. That our success hinged off of one person's perspective. Yeah. Maybe they didn't jive with what you were trying to do. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean what what you're trying to do is wrong. Yeah, this industry is the most relative Mm -hmm. industry. Like, what a good experience is for somebody might not like what you enjoy as a consumer. Somebody else might not might might not like. I don't know. I just to me that that was an issue with our industry. Yeah, but it became the Michelin stars of the world. Exactly, it became like a little bit. I'm glad that Michelin star is not here in Minneapolis because once you start cooking for Michelin, then the customers suffer because right. they don't want the same thing. Yeah. A customer wants something simpler than, than yeah. you know. I mean, like you're a, a restaurateur, a chef's success, would, yeah. depending on where you lived in the world, could hinge off of two or three people. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and I just think that's so crazy. Well, I tell you something, like 
after Balagrasa having four stars in the Star Tribune, I wanted to have Birch to be my first restaurant yeah. as executive chef to be four. And we got four stars. Nice. That take, took me being there nine months. And then Martina being my first restaurant, I was like, I want that to be a four-star restaurant. And it was a four-star restaurant yeah. too. So hard work pay off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Uh, reviews, you know, the, the person who reviewed for a Star Tribune changed in the last uh, year or two. And uh, I don't know if he, uh, he likes me a lot. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm doing my best now, you know, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The shows, man. Yeah. Um, so I think what we're talking about is that that transition from going from oh, yeah. being in to slowly removing yourself out. And it, took, yeah. it was slow, but so it, take us through that that, that exactly. experience. So first, I start stop working like seven days a week, right? Then I start like scheduling someone else to expo. So I didn't have to expo so much. So I could just have, you know, start focusing about the next restaurant, you know. Then uh, with Colita and Martina open, uh, I start adding people into this, this corporate team, I call it, or task force team that, that helped me open everything. So I slowly remove one part of my job, like accounting, for example, and put it into okay. hiring an accountant. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if you have one restaurant uh, and you're the plumber, the, the chef, the, the, the marketer, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to be doing the same for the next 50 years. And then what? You know what yeah. I mean? Nothing. You're going to end up selling olive oil for, for, a, for a company. Right. You know what I mean? So my goal was always growing. And the plan was always, I always have a one-year plan, five-year plan. And, and that. What was your, one, your five-year plan when you opened because uh, you just cleared your five-year plan. Did you make? Did you make your meet your goal? I surpassed it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thing was to have three restaurants by five years, yeah. um, and that, more than doubled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So, um, yeah, and then I have different. I like to diversify. You know, for example, the coffee shop brand. We want to grow it to like twelve locations and then sell it to someone else. You know, yeah. we are location number four now. Uh, the goal is to have twelve in the next two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosalia, we also, uh, the pizza place, is very easy to replicate, so we are working on uh, doing some more of those. Um, so for me to, to, you know, keep working and stuff like that, I need to keep getting more people than do my job, you know? It's starting to sound pretty corporate. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, like, so I was going like I'm, I'm, yeah. If you I'm tell, fishing here, if you tell people, if you tell people, no, it's good. If you tell people, like, if you put in your in their heads all the time, systems are, are um, food and service over systems. You know, that's so you're not the, saying no systems. You're saying food and service over systems pri- is a priority yeah. over systems. Yeah, you, you need some systems. You don't sacrifice food and service for systems. No, yeah, yeah. So and how do you find that balance? That's, that was, I was I've been sitting on this question, yeah. and I, I do like I'm right there with you. I think that there's a certain point, like when you get over like ten locations, yeah. right? Where say you're at like a hundred locations, yeah. You get to that point, you need systems because the yeah. systems are the only thing keeping that consistent. Because yeah. when you just one, when you're a chef or a single restaurateur, you recreate yourself in others, like you've been doing, right? Mm-hmm. You 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 build people up and you give them that responsibility. Yeah. But I think 
you can only d- dilute one person so much. Mm-hmm. Like one person can only be recreated so many times mm-hmm. before that source. Yeah. You know, when you like, can you recreate yourself on a hundred people? Mm-hmm. Maybe, but like, is it going to mm-hmm. be the same quality to, when you get to that one hundredth person? Okay, you know? shifts wise, yes. I have, I've got very lucky. I have three people in my corporate team chefs. Then, uh, I think they are they get it, and it's like it's as good as as I was as got a chef. Um, service and stuff like that, you know, it's a growing thing. Um. I don't know. I think, you know, just when you take a decision, you just think, okay, is this decision better? It's going to make service and food better. You know, that, that's, that's how we keep it not corporate, you know? Got it, got it. Um, I work, uh, I don't know if, you know, like I run a hotel. Uh, I know that. I know that you, a couple of your restaurants are in yeah. the Grand Hotel? Uh, no, like it's run, the Rand, run Tower. The Rand run Tower. Tower, that's what it is. So Run Tower, so they approach me. Because I like to diversify, I like to. Uh, I, I agreed to this concept like a year ago, but we start uh, we opened like six months ago, and I'm very proud of what we did there. It's great, um, but it's a hotel, and it's a Marriott hotel, so it's very corporate. So it's not. I understand, although I'm very happy with the partnership there. I understand why hotels usually they're not as good as restaurant. It's because that corporate aspect, everything takes like... Why hotel restaurant usually aren't as good as other restaurants? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just, you know, it's that corporate aspect. It's putting systems over fruit and service. Well, you know I mean, I mean? In, the, in the world of hotels, they, they typically look at restaurants as an afterthought. It's the hotel's primary. Yeah. And then like the, the restaurant is an appendage. Yeah. They don't really care about the profitability of that restaurant. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny... All restaurant, and I don't know if I can say this, but all restaurant, Go for it. <laughs> all restaurant, I think it makes more money than the actual hotel. Your restaurant, okay. oh, more sales. I see why more sales. Know. Okay, more sales. You know what I mean? So it's I see like why you're second guessing yourself. <laughs> I, I think you know what I mean. Like I, I, ooh, maybe I don't know, maybe not. But uh, uh, I think we're doing. We're doing better than I thought we were going to do there. It's yeah. in a fifth floor in downtown Minneapolis. Is that know? a management deal? Like, it's, do, you um, own, do, you own, do you own, you don't own any of the assets. You don't own the, the building. No, no, no. It's a managing. Yeah. So, um, but do you, you own the brand? I own the brand. I created the brand. I created the concept and everything. And they are very good at, at just, they go with what I say, yeah. you know? What, what advice do you have for that? Because that's a different approach. It's a different model, right? They're paying you to run a restaurant. Yeah, it's a... Uh, licensing, licensing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're not earning. Are you earning profit? How does no. that work? Uh, they pay me. Uh, uh, I got a deal for five years. Um, okay. So it's, it, a, it's a. Is it like an annual? Like uh, they pay me a big, me big sum in the you. beginning. I I can't out this one because it's the hotel. So I don't know. Yeah, there I, we I are. But you. but um, they pay me. I don't want to get you very, in trouble. Very good money in the beginning. Yeah. But the thing is, like for me, to make sure that. Uh, we have this the the quality and everything. It's very challenging uh, in a hotel because the quality of cooks are and they everything. your employees? No, they are okay. their employees. So you're managing their employees. Exactly. So like um, it, it is complicated. So I have a lot of people from my your corporate team, team yeah. there at all times. So I don't know if it was a good deal at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Your, your because labor expense is high. 
because I care about the brand. The brand. Yeah. If you don't care about the brand, it, it can be a great deal yeah. because it's a lot of money, but like you don't care. But I do care about yeah. the brand. So I, I do like that you're diversifying too. I think yeah. that's a really important lesson to. to well, COVID helped me to diversify. Right? Did COVID? I mean, oh, like, COVID. Yeah, yeah. like you know, you can't have all the eggs in one basket. You know, yeah. what I mean, we learned that. Right? Well, the other thing too is like fine dining restaurants, like what you're known for aren't mm-hmm. as easy to make profitable. Yeah. They're not as easy to make profitable. They can mine be profitable. Are, mine are. Yours are. What's your secret? I don't know. Uh, the volume? Volume. And then, you know, keep yourself like fresh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I let the creative people, of course, I'm not, I used to be all creative. And yeah. now, like, I, I have people creating too, right? Like, yeah. uh, I have a bar, a couple bar, uh, bar people in the, in the team then I let them do their job and sometimes you know uh, the accountant is like hey you're over budgeting glasses glassware I don't care you know what I mean yeah. we need those glassware yeah uh, Will Goddard talks about this in his book did you read his, his recent book Unreasonable Hospitality Will Goddard oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he talks about uh, I think they, they put it aside like a 5% budget or something like that yeah I can't remember what it is but it's a budget that they put aside mm-hmm. to, to spend money on like you have nice to. things exactly it's it's like the splurge yeah but it's the thing I, that you do that nobody else can do because you're putting money exactly inside i don't buy chairs in yeah. restaurant restaurant supplies these chairs are uh now now i think they're 800 dollars a chair wow. you know but the thing is this remember what i said that i was being a barista i was being uh, studying wine or whatever uh just to be well grounded there are gonna be people when i was studying wine i was going to restaurants I didn't care what they serve for food because I'm a chef. I don't care yeah. anymore. I was like looking at wine less. So I realized that some people go to a restaurant. Chefs think that people go to a restaurant for food. No, these people go to a restaurant for the wine less. These people go to a restaurant for the decor, for the ambience. For it. So, trying to take a piece of everything. Exactly. So if you are doing everything at eight, you don't have to do a 10, right? Because it's impossible and obtainable. Right. So at eight, all I ask is eight for decor, eight for music, a for food, A for drink, A for wine, you're going to be doing good. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I mean, there is no such thing as perfect. Yeah. And also, another thing uh, that I think is the reason my success, most people wait for the P&L, right, to see how they're doing, right? So a P&L usually is a four-week period, and then you have two more weeks until it's finalized. So... If you're doing something today, you don't know the results for six weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a couple things that I look every day. First, I have a, a, my bank account to see my cash flow, how it's doing. And I, have a gra- I make a graph. I can show you later, too, mm-hmm. if you want to. Make a graph and everything so it's easy to see. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's at a glance. I, and then I have a PNL, a daily PNL. Where we enter all the sales and the labor every day, the chefs and the managers do. Is that manually done or is that automated through software? Ma- manu- manually. Okay. I, 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 we try to autom- automize it with some companies, but no company gives me what I need. Hmm. So every chef of every restaurant knows exactly how we're doing every day. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a, I call it internal PL. And we put all the expenses, all the invoices in there and everything. I tell you how much money the restaurant is making at all times. So I think that uh, I removed that for a while 
when I opened the second restaurant, I didn't have time to do that so much. So I stopped doing it for a month or two, and my profit went down to zero. Really? Yeah. So that is very important. Uh, I have my accountant, and I have three people in accounting, and they're like, why we keep doing this? You know what I mean? We have QuickBooks, so you can look. Yeah. I say, I need everybody to look how we're doing every day. You know what I mean? And I think that is the main reason of my success how financially. Do you, how often do you do inventory? We don't do inventory. You I don't, don't believe in inventory. Really? Wow. No, no. Inventory inventory is whatever the chef wants to, to be. You know what I mean? If 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 I want my if I see that my inventory sucks, my food cost sucks that yeah. week, I say, Oh look, there are two pounds of truffle in there. Who can control that? You right. know what I mean? No, but I don't believe in inventory. I trust my employees. Give me my listeners heart palpitations right now. <laughs> I know. I, I don't do inventory. And um, if we have a problem with food costs or, or, or a liquor or, or, or for stealing, you know, I trust my employees. Um, I, I never had a problem so far, you know. And inventory for me is a waste of time. And I strongly recommend not to do it. Unless you use a system like Restaurant 365 or things like that. You know? uh, is there anything we haven't talked about today? Anything we haven't brought to the table as far as things that you think you can uniquely speak to, uh, messages yeah. you want to get out, things like yeah. that? I don't know. I just I, um, I think look into the real estate part of a restaurant, you know. This is a good movie. Uh, it's called The Founder. Yes. Uh, that was the movie that, you know, when I told you that the universe take me to places. After watching that movie, I realized that I wanted to be in that business of the real estate restaurant combo. Mm-hmm. And um, and thanks God, I, I met John Gross and, and, and he had the same idea. Yeah. So so we we both grew to, together. So, so as you, so this is where we kind of pivot yeah. from like the past to the future. Yeah. What is your strategy on real estate? What are you looking for in space? Like what, what matters to you? Where, where are you trying to put your restaurants? What's, what, what are the things that, that you keep an eye on? Um, you mean, why is my future? So if your future yeah. in the business is yeah. managing restaurants, yeah. but, but you're really looking to find real estate mm-hmm. in, in up and coming neighborhoods mm-hmm. so you can raise the value of that neighborhood. Exactly. So what do you look for in a neighborhood? Well, uh, a neighborhood that I believe that it can grow, you know, for example, Northeast Minneapolis here in Minneapolis, I think is... is, is are we in Northeast Minneapolis right now? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for places. Oh, okay, we, we are in the due diligence of buying a, a building there now. Got it. Um, but what, what do you think, where do you think the opportunities are, generally speaking? Well, Not just at, in like Minneapolis, yeah. but like when you're looking for a market, yeah. how do you know it's a good market? Well, I like to drive a, a, around there a lot, see the food traffic. And, you know, if it depends what kind of food are you, you know. Um, I, I never, a lot of people made a mistake of starting with a concept in their head and then they find a place for it. I do the opposite. I found a place and I see what the neighborhood needs. Got it. And I give the neighborhood what it needs, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have noticed in my interviews that we, the restaurants that tend to open in locations that aren't like the locations in the moment aren't great, but mm-hmm. they're like right on the edge. Yeah. You know, they're like maybe like a two or three blocks away yeah. from where things are happening. You know, like the growth eventually gets to the point where like they're in it. 
Exactly. You, you yeah. Know? So yeah. like, do you try to find neighborhoods that are like that have the potential? Yeah. But that are like a year or two away from exploding. Exactly. That's where you want to be. I mean, know? I feel like this could have could have been one of those. When we opened Bar La Grasa, I remember uh, it was by then the North Loop uh, wasn't that far uh, yet. We opened Bar La Grasa, and I was like, "Oh fuck, nobody's gonna come here," you know. Yeah. Uh, it was such a success, and like that restaurant alone, like helped the North Loop growing. You know what I mean? So I agree. So if you have that location, then, then you think it's an up and coming and, and you can f- be there yeah. at the right time. You can also keep your rent low that way too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you can own the building and you control the rent. Right. You control the value of the building. You know, got so. it. Um, so I told you before we got started that our mission statement yeah. is to inspire, empower, yeah. and transform yeah. the industry. On that note of transforming the industry, uh-huh. where we are now, where you think we should go intentionally, like what would you like to see the change about the industry? I, I, you know, the whole corporate restaurants and they put open and close. You know what I mean? Like then they have, I don't know what the reason is. You know, sports bars. You know those restaurants and their chains and, and yeah. I hope some those go away. You Chain know what I mean? Restaurants. Yeah, you know, it's talking okay. Like, when you say sports bars, you're talking like Buffalo Wild Wings? Yeah, kind of things like that. Yeah. You know, like those restaurants and they open, a kid open and close, whatever. Or they don't have, they're not intentional restaurants, you know. I, I wish they... What do you mean by intentional restaurants? Um, you know those restaurants and they serve sushi and steak and pasta and... and they're everything to everyone. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I hate those restaurants. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I like to mix concepts yeah. just to throw people off. Yeah. But like, there's a connection. You know what I mean? Like, There's a story behind it. Exactly. For example, Sanju San is Japanese-Italian. I don't know if people know, but one of the best Neapolitan pizza in the world is in Japan. You know what I mean? So I made the Neapolitan pizza being the nexus between the Japanese and Italian, right? Um, so I like to mix concepts, but I don't like those big chains that they keep opening places, you know? I think I want to see more restaurants run by, I by agree. chefs. I know? agree. I think like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast, honestly. Yeah. When I first started this podcast, I kind of shared that same sentiment yeah. of I want to create, I want to see a world where the the people from that place, the people who live in that community yeah. are bringing people together. It's not yeah. some corporate entity that lives on the other side of the world who has assets in that community. Yeah. It belongs to the community. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, it's weird, but as I've grown, as I've learned more, I think that there's, there's a lot of good things that we can take from that corporate world. Yeah. Um, and, and apply them on a micro scale. Mm hmm. So we can be more profitable. Mm-hmm. So we can so we can be tight. So we can yeah. manage cash flow. So we yeah. can charge what we're supposed to charge, um, and give our employees security. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I think there's a, like a bounce that exactly. needs to be made where we take the the good elements of of uh, that we can learn from looking at franchises and corporations and how do we apply those? How do we make that knowledge common mm-hmm. so the mom and pop can compete with the corporation? Because mm-hmm. they and the other cool thing that's happening too is technology is getting better. So now if you if you had a restaurant systems pro or a restaurant three sixty five back end mm-hmm. office type thing, like were you gonna you want to chime in? Yeah, no. Uh, uh at the hotel for example we use this system called micros. micros. I used to love micros like twenty years ago but it didn't evolve. You know, no, it keep, got, it's like having got a fat, dumb and happy. It's like a 1990s Blackberry phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
you can have an iPhone which is toast. Yeah. You know, toast yeah. is the operating system that we use here. It's great. It's yeah. great for reporting. It's access. It's easy to access reporting to see what you're doing numbers wise. You know, when all these systems are from the past, they're terrible. You know, so technology is making things yeah. easier for well, you think for restaurants too. You look yeah. at like a I don't know, pick any chain. Right? Yeah, you, there's a good chance you've probably seen Toast POS in that company. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's also the, the the same POS that your first time mom and pop is using. Exactly. So there's a, the techno, the technological barrier to success. Yeah. And that was one of the the, the unfair advantages these big companies has. Yeah. They had the budget, the pockets to have the cutting edge technology, but the, the technology is caught up. Mm-hmm. You know. So now we all have access to the same technology. Exactly. Yeah. So that is that was a huge equalizer yeah. for us in the industry. Yeah. Um, but now I think it's just it's more about business savvy savviness. Yeah. It's about knowing how to run a business. Yeah. And knowing how to use these tools to get yeah. the most. And I think information, like study, you know, like listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast, every shift. And, you know, I that was the dream, man. When I, got I, started I guarantee you. Yeah. And I wish I have something like this when, because I was looking for all the information I could in online on books, every book, you know, some books were a waste of time, you know, like, but, um, there was no information. Now there's more access to yeah. information, you know, but you know, like you want to open, you said 10 or 20 pizza and coffee shops, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a big that's a big business. Yeah, and I think that that's the future. Yeah, I think that the the local operators are gonna are gonna operate like national chains. Yeah, yeah, and they're gonna yeah. take that energy, take that 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 standard of excellence, attention to detail, systems and process, mm-hmm. not prioritize it over food and beverage and mm-hmm. hospitality, but it's going to level the playing field and you're already starting to see it yeah. with like micro chains, you yeah. know, um, yeah, I think I, that's the future. And I think, you know, for a real estate person, for sure, if I have like a mom and pop who is very up, 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 I'm coming chef in town who is very talented, whatever, who is going to be my tenant or I have a corporate, I don't know, chicken wings place, whatever. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to pick the chicken wings because they have, I know that if they don't pay rent or if they leave, they're going to finish the whole, I can sue them and get some money from it. Right. When the mom and pop, I can't. You know what I mean? So I, I think if we as a community show proof that we can, this can be a sustainable uh Business, which we are, we're doing it. I think. Which it yeah. is, you know what I mean. I changed my life significantly. Yeah, thanks to this. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have any money, any investors, any. I didn't marry into money, nothing. Yeah. You know, like every cent I have is thanks to my restaurants, mm. and I'm doing okay. You know what I mean. So if I cannot be an example of what this industry can do for you in a positive way, I mean, I don't know what. You know what I mean. Yeah. Like I came here, I didn't speak English, I didn't. I didn't have a working permit. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any friends, didn't have any a job. family. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I maintain my family. Yeah. You know, I, I could not, I depend only on myself. And I, I'm able to do it thanks to restaurants. You mo- is your mom still around? Yeah, she's, oh. she, she is. What yeah. does she say about you now? Oh, she's very proud, but yeah. I'm sure. How's that feel? Oh, I don't know. I just I don't care so much. Okay. Yeah, I, I just all I all I want all I want to make sure that I can provide for her and for my brother who also help uh, his family, um, for myself and not to ask for anything because I don't like to ask for things. I love it. 
on that note, we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. This podcast is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. As a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 plus years, Mies founder and CEO Josh Sharkey was frustrated that only the financial and inventory software was available in the kitchen. And while those are important, they don't actually address the process of cooking, training, production, collaboration, and execution. Whether you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies was built just for you. Organize, share, prep, and scale your recipes like never before. Plus, get laser-accurate food costs and nutritional analysis faster than you could ever imagine. Chefs that use Mies have seen, on average, 70% reduction in training time for new staff, 20-30% to 30% less food waste and overproduction, and an average of thirty to 50000 reduction in annual cost of goods sold from their easy-to-use recipe engineering. Part of the magic in Mies is a built-in database of thousands of ingredients that have been tested by Mies chefs and registered dietitians to ensure all the yield loss when you prep an ingredient as well as the unit conversions from volume to weight to pieces are built in, not to mention automated allergen tagging to ensure you have a consolidated view of allergens and nutrition. Get started by visiting getmes.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today. Revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with Mies. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. Think of it as your strength. Uh, flexible, flexibility, flexibility, and I stick to my guns. Like 
everybody tell you you're wrong or then you change your mind too often or something and I don't care. <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? That too. Yeah, that's That <laughs> happens more often than not where your strength is your biggest weakness. Um, also, sometimes being too reactive. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. so sometimes you have to just let it, things. Run this chorus. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Uh, interviewing, you yeah. mean? I, I just need them to be able for me to mold them. I, I don't need... It. Most of my people that work for me, they never work in the job that they are doing. Got it. Like the accountant never working in accounting. Uh, you know, I, I like to mold them myself. That way, you conserve the soul. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if I... I train everybody with the same approach or the same systems or whatever than I use. Got it. So what is your biggest challenge today? Um, patience, my own patience. Like I want to grow. I want to keep growing fast. You know what I mean? Overcoming it. And uh, I think that's my biggest challenge. I need to be a little more. I get bored. Really yeah. see. How do you overcome that challenge? I need to get a hobby or something <laughs> as I work. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Uh, oh my God. It should be easy, right? One thing I teach my team. I think that thing like service and food over systems you know yeah. and also these are 33 33 33 I call it that every decision you have to take in consideration three things employee morale finance uh, sustainability of the business the business part and the customer part every decision you take as soon as you think about those three factors and they all have the same weight yeah uh, you're gonna take the right decision got it Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So if you put hospitality, food, and, and service over everything else, what is one standard of service that you teach your team that is uncommon throughout the industry? Mm, I don't know if it's uncommon, but treat people like they are in your house. I don't care if the fork is three degrees turn. You know what I mean? Nobody cares about that. Just treat them honestly and like sincerely and yeah. and. Train like if you were having people at your house, Warmth. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was a guy, I remember um, one night I was, it was an employee of mine uh, and he had the hospitality so ingrained that we were like a night partying, like it was like five in the morning, whatever. We got to his house and he put in front of everybody a glass of uh, water. You know what I mean? Who does that at right. five in the morning right. after you've been drinking or whatever? Some people have that hospitality yeah. ingrained, I and I, I think I have it. And I wish, I, I think that's something I hope more people have. So now I know you're well read, so yeah. you're gonna like this next question. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Uh, for Chef uh, on Food and Cooking by Harold McGee, for sure. Um, restaurant. Rectum Success by the Numbers is one. Oh, there's so many good uh, books. Um, 
so many. I don't know. You're fine. That's good. Yeah. Good, good two recommendations right there. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, oof. Uh, they don't do often enough. I don't know. Keep evolving. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I think restaurants open and then they get tired. You know, like, you need to keep evolving. How often know? do you think a restaurant should evolve? Constantly, every yeah. day. Got it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along these lines? Um, I think just toast yeah. was is the main thing. Now, what was the biggest way that impacted your business? Is easy access to to see where you are, you know, like uh, data reporting. Yeah, it's great. Got it. All right. This is the last question. Mm. It's a doozy. So get ready for it. Yeah. If you're leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Hmm. Wow. Um, don't get caught up in the whole like chefy culture, like the the you know eater or things like that. Yeah. I, I I don't care about stuff like yeah. that. Um, two. Two. Uh, learn your numbers. You know what I mean. Treat. A restaurant, it, there's nothing wrong with with numbers. You know, we we. Uh, I feel like this is one of the only industries that people frown upon when a restaurant tourist doing a chef is doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, any, any other business is celebrated, but ours. You know what I mean? Right, right. So what's number three? Um, just treat people, treat your customers like, like, like when people go to your house. You know, mm. like. I've loved yeah. today's conversation, yeah. man. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is a long podcast. I, I know it's you. hard for uh, a restaurant owner to carve no, out two good. hours in their day to talk to me, but I really appreciate it. I have fun. Yeah. You make what I do possible, man. I, yeah. I tell all my guests that uh, you, you make what I do possible. So thank you so much. And before we say goodbye, I do wrap up every episode by having my guest call somebody out. So yeah. one thing that's unique about Restaurant Stoppable um, is I'm trying to take a very journal as I evolve, as I grow into the future, I'm trying to take a very journalistic approach. My mm-hmm. interview is my research. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that note, who do you think I should talk to? Who do you respect and admire in the industry? People that know their shit and need to be made an example of. Who are those people? Isaac Baker. Isaac. Mm-hmm. Look out. I'm coming after you. Anybody else? Um, uh, this is a lot. Um, oh, um, this is a... Uh, Peter from uh, Red Wagon Pizza. He, I never met him until a year or two years ago, and I was very surprised. Not surprised. I was very. He's so smart. I love smart people like that. Yeah. You know. That was uh, Peter from Red Wagon Pizza. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Look out, Isaac and Peter. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Yeah. And if we really enjoyed today's episode, yeah. and maybe we're interested in coming to work for you or stage with you, mm-hmm. what's the best way to connect? Uh, with the restaurants, I mean, like the, 
the restaurant's emails and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a particular restaurant email that gets paid more attention to? Uh, dine at martinarestaurant.com. And that's the email I use to reach out to you. Yeah, so yeah. they do pay attention. Yeah. Uh, we'll have uh, the contact information as well as any uh, notes referring to today's episode. Tools yeah. or services mentioned all tagged in the episodes. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1002. This is episode 1002. Jesus. And, uh, yeah, I've been going at it for almost 10 years. Uh, thank you so much, thank Chef. You. you were a blast. And uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Good. Thanks. Cheers. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Daniel Del Prado, for coming on and being an inspiration. And man, what a wild story of just landing in America and never leaving and just finding work and surrounding yourself with amazing people. I also really enjoyed in today's story the uh, idea of using restaurants to add value to an asset which is actually the building and the community that you're investing in. And if you can if you can buy the land, if you can buy the building and then you use your skill set uh, to create community and to serve people and to feed people that, that adds value to that community thereby adding value to your asset the building I just think that's a really fun way to look at it and how to how to look at this industry differently how to look at it as a business person and how to take your just savviness to the next level awesome stuff thank you so much Chef Daniel Del Prado and if you're enjoying this podcast we need your support there's a ton of ways you can support the show and I want to say thank you in advance if you do one way uh, that I really want to make sure you guys know about supporting the show is, is coming to hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. So I'm going to get vulnerable here. About two years ago, when I was really in deep to the network, it was it was more than I could handle. I bit off more than I could chew, and I had to make a decision. Do I focus on what I love and what I'm really good at, my core focus, my one thing, my long format, deep dive, intimate on-site interviews, or do I continue to go in this route of online community? And my heart gets filled when I'm in person with people. That's what makes me happy. But that being said, what we've learned on this show is that you need to use your your businesses, your assets to create opportunity for other people. And that's really what the game's all about, is creating opportunity for other people. You create something of value, that thing swells to the point where it can support you and others, and you can use other people's strengths to create opportunities for them. That's what I'm trying to do here at Restaurant Stoppable with Callan Miola. She is a community manager, and together we can go further. So we're, we're putting energy into the network, and we would love for you to head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com, join and be a part of the conversation, meet our guests, meet other listeners across the country, and let's create some community around this idea of closing the knowledge gap, inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. Thank you to my team, Callum Miola, Jared Parisi, and Anna Tazin for helping make this thing possible. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.